Peace Health Peace Harbor Medical Center presents Doc Talk, an informative health series educating our community on the services provided at Peace Health. We will begin with our host, George Henry, after these messages. You're not feeling well? You twist your ankle? Or you have that pain in your shoulder that just doesn't go away? There is an alternative to the emergency room. It's a Peace Health walk-in clinic. There's no appointment necessary, and you may have to wait, but you could see someone today. It's open six days a week in the 380 building just across from Peace Health Peace Harbor Medical Center. The Peace Health Walk-In Clinic, your local health partners. At some point in her life, one out of every eight women will get breast cancer. One out of eight. Most women can beat it, but only with early detection. Don't let breast cancer stop you. Mammograms save lives. Better total care. Peace Harbor Imaging now has digital mammograms. Get one. Now, the month of February, of course, we're still in January, but the month of February is heart month, so we thought it would be a good idea with Peace Health, Peace Harbor Medical Center to bring in Dr. Sanger. Dr. Sanger is a cardiologist. Yep. And a surgeon? Uh, no, I'm no, a, a cardiologist. cardiologist. Yeah, I'm a general cardiologist. All right. So let's talk about the heart then. Sure. Uh, we have spoken once before, but it's been a couple of years. So let's just okay. first start off with update everybody. Give us a little bit of your, your background, sure. your schooling, how you sure. chose medicine. Sure. Uh, so I'm a general cardiologist, and that means that – so the way it works is cardiology diagnoses and treats heart disease, meaning – uh, finds out what is different types of heart disease. We make the diagnosis, for example, valve disease, heart failure, arrhythmias, um, coronary artery disease, all those things. Those are things that we kind of figure out and manage. Um, if somebody needs a surgical procedure, then we send them to a cardiothoracic surgeon to do that. A cardiologist does things like uh, – in coronary angiograms where we put tubes and wires inside the heart and measure things. And sometimes I don't, I'm not an interventional cardiologist. An interventional cardiologist has extra skills that they uh, put in stents or balloons to open up uh, uh, blockages in coronary arteries. But that's another thing cardiologists do. Uh, cardiologists also put in things like pacemakers, and I, I do that. Um, some cardiologists are more specialized in terms of treating heart rhythm disorders, and they can put in more advanced um, equipment inside the heart like a defibrillator or something like that. I don't do that. That would be an electrophysiologist, which is another type of cardiologist. But that's kind of the general idea of who does what in cardiology world. And uh, in terms of me personally, uh, let's see. I uh, I went to I graduated from Harvard University a long time ago, and then I went to uh, medical school at Stanford, and then I did my uh, postgraduate training at Mount Sinai Hospital in New York City, and then I moved out to Oregon in 2004, and I've been here ever since, uh, and I've been going out to Florence for a long, long time uh, from Eugene, where I'm based, and uh, I work mostly at Riverbend and uh, see patients there. And uh, yeah, so does that kind of answer the question? 
So yes, it does. So yeah. so prior to Harvard, though, yeah. what was your where was your home base? Where, where I'm from, from New York. I'm from, from Westchester County, New York. Yeah. What made you choose Oregon? <laughs> I like uh, the outdoors. Uh, I like to run a lot, uh, and Oregon is a great place where you can run pretty much all year. And uh, I just really like the um, environment here, and uh, I like the laid-back West Coast kind of uh, atmosphere, uh, and I love access to the outdoors. So um, Oregon's perfect. When you talk about the heart, now the heart as a muscle, an organ, versus – Say the cardiovascular system. Ah, yeah. Are there are there diseases that are specific to the heart that don't involve necessarily the cardiovascular system? That's an interesting question. Uh, sure. I mean, you know, so uh, cardiologists. Obviously, there's abnormalities like you know heart valve things and stuff like that. Right. Going on. Yeah. So there's a lot of different diseases. I guess the way that we break it up. I mean, you're referring to vascular disease, so you can have. Uh, disease of arteries or blood vessels elsewhere in the body. So a cardiologist is responsible for treating um, cardiovascular disease, which means uh, anything with blood vessels, uh, including we actually, we have one of the cardiologists uh, at Riverbend specializes in um, problems with peripheral arterial disease. Dr. Raju, he's one of the new cardiologists, and he is really excited about that, about treating um, people who have uh, leg pain from artery blockages in their legs, for example. So yes, that, that's another thing that we do. Because I was wondering, because it's, I, I'm guessing a person can have a very strong heart, but have other ailments in the body that will affect the heart in a negative way over time. Yeah, so you're referring to the fact that um, uh, the heart doesn't exist completely in isolation, which is absolutely true. So uh, there are the things with your uh, uh, horm- hormones affect the heart. Um, uh, the uh, neurologic system affects the heart, right? So the whole the heart isn't just all by itself. It exists within the human body, and definitely uh, uh, other diseases or disease processes will certainly affect how the heart functions. Absolutely. Okay. So in what ways can hormones negatively or positively impact the heart? That's an interesting question. So I guess the hormone I was thinking about that we talk uh, sometimes about is insulin, right? So people um, have uh, often suffer with insulin resistance, which is another word for describing type 2 diabetes, which is basically insulin resistance. And that's uh, probably fundamentally related to our unnatural uh, modern American diet. And that can cause high levels of insulin that then make insulin resistance. And then that can predisposed to uh, all sorts of heart disease problems. So yeah, sure. Now, I I remember last time when when we spoke, we spoke a little bit about uh, diet as opposed to how how it's affected our lives. I believe in the 60s is where we started to see a rise in cardiovascular disease. Then in the 70s and early 80s, it kind of curbed. And then in the 80s, it it kind of went negative, went back a little bit, mm-hmm. um, and I guess it, I guess it's sort of like the stock market. You can't uh-huh. just take you know one month and and predict your yeah. your income level for uh-huh. that. And I guess it's probably the same way with medicine. How does that information over the last three or four decades um, bring us to our current knowledge today? It's interesting. So I think. Um I'm not sure if things really have gotten all that much better. I think the treatment got better, so it's hard to know, um, you know, uh, what the effect is of treatment versus the effect of what people are doing. 
Um, I think what happened in the last 20 or 30 years is that uh, the science of medicine has come so far and the, the uh, treatment has really improved. It's a lot more tolerable. The medications are a lot easier to take. We have all these new high-tech um, equipment, ways of opening up artery blockages and ways of getting more blood to the heart. And more importantly, if you have heart failure, we have really great treatments that make the heart get stronger. It used to be a you know, an end-of-life diagnosis, but I can remember, you know, 20 or 30 years ago, we'd tell people that they have heart failure, and that was sort of uh, nothing but downhill from there. And now uh, we have amazing treatments that really have been found to make people with weak hearts get get stronger and get better. So if you want to talk about what's happened in the last 30 years, I think that's the big story. To get back to diet, though, I think uh, the main thing that's changed in the last few years was that, you know, they used to say uh, back uh, in the 70s or 80s, back with Ansel Keys, who did all this research about uh, heart disease that turned out to all be wrong. Uh, they used to say that uh, you know you need to stop eating saturated fat and eat more uh, cornflakes and uh, Cheerios, and it's really turned out that that's profoundly mistaken because all those uh, processed carbohydrates end up causing insulin resistance and causing diabetes and obesity and heart disease. So the key then, if you want to ask me what I think about diet, is to try to eat as natural a human diet as possible. And then, so you ask yourself, what is a human being? Fundamentally, you know, we're hunter-gatherers, right? So natural human food is not Cheerios or skim milk. Natural human food is meat and eggs and uh, maybe some nuts and berries here and there, but it's not low fat, it's low carb. So, and that's the key to understanding, you know, the whole puzzle of obesity and diabetes is to stop eating bread and cereal and start eating uh, food that your body actually needs and provides nutrition like uh, uh, meat and eggs. So there you go. We're talking with Dr. Sanger. He is with Peace Health, Peace Harbor Medical Center, and he visits down here several days a week now and works in the cardiology department. We're going to talk more with him right after this from Peace Health, Peace Harbor Medical Center. You're not feeling well? You twist your ankle? Or you have that pain in your shoulder that just doesn't go away? There is an alternative to the emergency room. It's a Peace Health walk-in clinic. There's no appointment necessary, and you may have to wait, but you could see someone today. It's open six days a week in the 380 building just across from Peace Health, Peace Harbor Medical Center. The Peace Health Walk-In Clinic, your local health partners. At some point in her life, one out of every eight women will get breast cancer. One out of eight. Most women can beat it but only with early detection. Don't let breast cancer stop you. Mammograms save lives. Better total care. Peace Harbor Imaging now has digital mammograms. Get one. I'm speaking with Dr. Sanger. He's a cardiologist with the Peace Health, Peace Harbor Medical Center, and we were talking a little bit about diet before uh, we took the break there. I'd like to kind of uh, morph that into the idea of why do you think it is that the general public still kind of thinks of heart disease as a, a male-dominated disease or a male-centric disease? 
I think, uh, sadly, I think it's probably because people ignore women. I mean, there's just a lot of sexism, I think. And so uh, there's not enough attention paid to uh, women uh, and they don't get an, as good care. I mean, there's actually studies that show that women who complain of uh, chest pain don't get evaluated as quickly or as um, intensively as male patients. And that's got to change. I mean, that's been a failure with medicine uh, and that's changing, I hope, Uh I certainly try to uh, pay attention to my uh, female patients and uh, evaluate their complaints seriously. I think that's why it's been thought of as a male disease. The data shows that women, if to answer your question about what the data shows, it shows that women get heart disease later than men in general. So uh, typically, you know, if a man's going to have a heart attack in their 50s or 60s, women get it more in their 60s and 70s. But that doesn't mean they don't get it. And it kills just as many women as it does men. It just tends to be later onset. Uh, and they tend to have slightly different, you know, prevalence of, of uh, disease. They tend to get more uh, slightly different versions of heart failure than men do. They tend not to have as much chest pain per se, although they still do still do have coronary artery disease. Um, uh, but I try to you know listen to patients and try really hard to individualize treatment, meaning treat every patient as their own person and not try to generalize too much when I see a patient. I think that's really the key. But I mean, you raise a really good point that, you know, um, heart disease is thought of as a men's problem and not a women's problem. And uh, But I hope that's changing. I mean, more and more people are getting aware of the fact that heart disease is prevalent in women and it, it should be um, regarded as an important issue. Back to the the diet thing now. Sure. What is is there any truth or is it a wives' tale or mythology that, um, for example, uh, fats that uh, dissolve at room temperature are they better for your body than ones that don't? Right. So I think um, that's kind of okay. Fat is. I mean, the key to understanding is that cutting out fat will not prevent heart disease. Um, and saturated fat, they used to think saturated fat is bad for you, but new data is really not bearing that out. There was, in fact, one study that came out, I think it was last year, that showed that uh, the higher intake of saturated fat people um, reported was associated with living longer, not shorter. So uh, I'm not afraid of saturated fat. I think the fats that are probably unhealthy are those ones that are artificial, right? So stuff that comes from vegetable oil or soy oil or soy or, or, or sesame oil, those fats are, um, are, are cottonseed oil or canola oil. Those fats are profoundly unnatural. They're basically industrial byproducts, these what are called PUFAs or polyunsaturated fatty acids. They're pro-inflammatory. They probably uh, cause insulin resistance. Uh, they're really bad for you. So I try, if you want to know what fat I stay away from, I stay away from corn oil and um, uh, those kind of uh, artificial fats. And I try to eat uh, fats that are natural, quote unquote. So foods like fat like olive oil or plain old butter, those are the kind of thing that I would go for. Uh, avocado oil is good. Um, uh, I wouldn't worry so much about the temperature uh, of the fat that melts. I would worry more about whether where the fat came from. Is it from some industrial byproduct, which is probably not healthy, like um, uh, uh, canola oil? Uh, or is it something that you would get in nature, which is probably fine, like lard or butter? 
What about the chemicals in our in our food system? Oh, like yeah. especially in in animal fats. Sure. Now, are, I mean, are we should mm. even though it's more expensive, should we look more toward an organic uh, animal, or uh, because fat is where isn't that where most of the toxins are held? Maybe I don't know. You know, I mean, the whole organic food thing is is appealing. I mean, I. Uh, I would tend to buy organic food just because I don't know what's in food and I feel like, well, maybe it's better and maybe it tastes better. But I don't think there's any really good data. Um, you know, you can still eat uh, organic stuff that's unhealthy, right? So it's not it's not all – you can have organic junk food. So I don't think that whether focusing on organic is that important. Um, I think it's more important to focus on uh, stuff that, you know, I always hold up a piece of food and ask, you know, would somebody have recognized this as food a thousand years ago? And if yes, then it's probably fine. So a steak, for example, you know, well, yeah, if you show that to uh, a caveman, they'll know what that is and they can eat it. You know, that's that's pretty good. That's food, right? But uh, a, a bowl of oatmeal, no. That's not going to be recognized as food, and certainly not uh, a glass of skim milk or 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 a donut. That's or or multigrain bread. That's not food uh, to somebody five thousand years ago. So it's not food now. It's not something that our ancestors would have been eating, and so it's really probably not something that we should be eating. So um, what about a pork rind? I'm, I'm guessing that would probably fall into the oh, maybe not geez, so much. I don't know. You know yeah, that's a tough one. I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I'll I'll eat pork rinds and I'm just fine. Uh, but I, I agree that might not be so completely um, uh, past the paleo test. I'm not sure. <laughs> right. A little, it, it is a little processed versus <laughs> yeah, just a, I don't know. a pork chop. You good know. good question. I don't know. The, the arteries um, – are the arteries mainly made up of fat, or how? How are what are the arteries constructed? Arteries of? have got a muscle uh, in the middle. Uh, they're muscular, so they can they can spasm closed or they can dilate open. They react. They can uh, uh, expand and contract. So they've got muscle that does that. They've got an inner lining called an endothelium. That's important because that's where a lot of disease happens that we deal with in cardiology. And then, yeah, that's what an artery is. So an artery is a, is basically should be thought of as a muscular tube. So if if fat is not necessarily what is clogging our arteries. Correct. Yeah. Is it the processed foods combined with that? I what think is- it's the response to insulin. Uh probably and uh something called triglycerides which are what go up when you eat processed carbohydrates. Um, and then, you know, it's it's a bit of a mystery, I'll be honest with you. I don't think anybody knows exactly why we get coronary disease and what it means. But I would say that um, it's not as simple as having plaque deposit. I mean, I'm sorry, not as simple as having fat deposited on your arteries. It's, it's more complicated. And there's a lot about it that we don't understand. Um, I would say insulin is definitely a bad actor. Um, and lowering insulin is probably a good idea. Um, beyond that, it's hard to know what uh, what causes coronary disease. I don't think anybody's completely figured that out. There's probably genetic factors at work as well, right? So, I mean, some people can get away with a whole lot more than other people, and that might be related to genetics. And don't forget, I mean, there are other 
factors too. There's uh, probably, you know, I mean, smoking is probably the one thing we haven't mentioned, and that's the worst thing. It's way more powerful than anything you eat or don't eat. I mean, you know, if a patient comes to me and wants to talk about their diet, but they're smoking, I say, you know, look, let's focus on the number one thing first, which is the poison in the tobacco. That's a hundred times more powerful than any good you're going to get from having a bad or a good diet. And I don't know if I've seen any any doctors speak out on this, but what about the idea of uh, your diet affecting whether or not you can control diabetes? Right. So you can cure diabetes by uh, a, a type 2. We're talking type 2, by the way, not type 1. Type 1 is a whole different thing. But type 2 diabetes is basically a disease of insulin resistance. And you get insulin resistance because you have too much carbohydrate causing your insulin level to be too high in the first place. So if you lower the natural insulin level by not eating carbohydrates, then you're going to reduce the insulin resistance and cure the diabetes. So you can totally you know, throw away the drugs if you can get rid of the underlying problem. And the underlying problem is insulin resistance. And the way to get rid of insulin resistance is to stop eating the, you know, these processed carbohydrates like bread and rice and cereal. And I've seen this a hundred times. A patient stop eating these uh, processed carbohydrate type foods and they can get rid of the pills. I mean, don't stop it all at once, obviously, for goodness sake. You, you know, I just want to make sure I'm not being dangerous here. I mean, if you're you're seeing a doctor and you're getting treatment, I mean, don't just go radically changing everything because you heard me say this. I think first step is to talk to your doctor. And then what you can do right now is just try to eat a more healthy, natural human diet pattern, which means the stuff that I talked about. I have to say you're, you're singing my song here in, in many Good. ways. Good. Uh, Dr. Sanger is uh, with Peace Health Peace Harbor Medical Center. We'll be back in just a minute. We're going to talk about some of the services provided and some of the upcoming events that you can take advantage of at Peace Health Peace Harbor Medical Center on this edition of Doc Talk. You're not feeling well, you twist your ankle, or you have that pain in your shoulder that just doesn't go away? There is an alternative to the emergency room. It's a Peace Health walk-in clinic. There's no appointment necessary, and you may have to wait, but you could see someone today. It's open six days a week in the 380 building just across from Peace Health Peace Harbor Medical Center. The Peace Health Walk-In Clinic, your local health partners. At some point in her life, one out of every eight women will get breast cancer. One out of eight. Most women can beat it, but only with early detection. Don't let breast cancer stop you. Mammograms save lives. Better total care. Peace Harbor Imaging now has digital mammograms. Get one. I'm with Dr. Sanger. He is with Peace Health Peace Harbor Medical Center. He's a cardiologist, and we're going to talk about some of the services provided at Peace Health Peace Harbor Medical Center and an event that's coming up here shortly. But I wanted to throw in here, what about alcohol consumption? Say say you're doing everything else right in your diet. Mm-hmm. Um, but you like a drink every now and then. Yeah. What's what's the the latest story R- on that? Right. Well, the most of the data on alcohol shows that a little bit is good and a lot is probably not so great. So and the question is what's a little bit? And that's a little hard to say, but probably two drinks a day is okay. Probably a little bit better than having zero. But then if you start going beyond two or three drinks a day, then you start running into problems with blood pressure 
weight gain. Uh, and then if you're way up, uh, then you can actually really have some organ damage from alcohol. So I'd say moderate alcohol intake is is okay for your heart. I don't think that that's been a problem. Uh, yeah, so I don't there, worry about any, that. Is there any science that shows that uh, grain alcohol versus wine versus beer is one or better than the other? Not really. No. It really doesn't or matter. Worse. Beer has got loads of carbohydrates, yeah, right? So it's really, I think of beer as being kind of like liquid ice cream. I mean, it's so tasty, but really uh, likely to cause weight gain and all that stuff. And so, but I don't think there's anything wrong with if you prefer whiskey to, it really doesn't make right. any difference. All right. Well, let's talk about a couple of the services now that are provided there. Now you visit two to three times a week? Is that? I know I'm, I'm in Florence about uh, once, about twice a month, sometimes oh, three sure. times a month. Yeah. But we have um, other cardiologists who come to Florence. And so we're in Florence about three days a week with uh, one of us, sometimes multiple doctors that will have different days. So we'll typically have somebody in Florence at least two days, if not three days a week, almost every week. And we'll have uh, the electrophysiology doctors, which are doctors that specialize in arrhythmias. They also come to Florence once a week, one of them. There's three, we have three electrophysiologists now. We've recently expanded electrophysiology services now where we have over at Riverbend, we have two uh, complete electrophysiology rooms where we run these sort of procedures for arrhythmias like atrial fibrillation and uh, other heart rhythm disorders. And we um, we have really extensive uh, uh, services with that area at, at, over at Riverbend, and we get the electrophysiologists over here in Florence uh, uh, every week, sometimes more twice a week even, yeah. And those are the those are some of the basic services that you yeah. guys provide yeah. for that, right? Yeah. So we've got and we we do pacemaker serve uh, pacemaker maintenance here, and we do echocardiography here. And um, over at Peace Harbor at the hospital, there we run stress testing and uh, uh, diagnostic procedures like echocardiography. We actually have a new stress testing machine that um, I should mention. It's a huge advance, and that back in the old days, if you were getting a nuclear stress test, which is, by the way, it's a procedure we use to visualize the blood flow to your heart using a special camera that takes pictures of blood flow. Um, it used to be that you have to lie flat on a table for an hour or so or two hours to get pictures. Now you can sit upright in a chair and the camera is just over your heart while you're sitting in the chair and we can get the whole procedure done in just a few minutes. It's in the order of like 10 minutes. And it's a lot less radiation dose. It's a lot more comfortable for the patients. And we were able recently to get one of these new systems, of which, by the way, there's only about, I mean, a few hundred in the United States, and there's only a, about 30 on the West Coast. And we have one in Florence here now. So we've got, that's a really important benefit that we're offering to the patients here. Now, I mentioned at the beginning of the program that February next month yes. is Heart Month. Yes. And you guys have an event that's coming up to, Sort of a, a talk and some maybe some medical yes. Help. So on February seventh, Joe Piscatella, who is a heart attack survivor and he's become an author and a wellness guru, is going to be having a community talk uh, and it's kind of like a wellness fair at the Florence Event Center, and that's going to be from three to four p.m. There's going to be uh, BMI and blood pressure checks. And um, there'll be door prizes and uh, more uh, stuff, opportunities to get information about the hospital. And then Joe will be speaking from 4 to 5 p.m. there. And um, it would be a really great 
time to go out there and uh, meet the speaker, uh, Joe Piscatella, who's a nationally recognized speaker, and get some more information. And again, that's a free event. Too, it's free, it? absolutely, yes. All right. Um, I have a quick minute here. Sure. Talk to me really quickly about arrhythmia. And I, sure. I have a friend of mine who's who's dealing with that now, and he has to go in and kind of, I guess he gets zapped, they call it, yeah. something like that. Yeah, What is What is that involved, and, and how dangerous is that? So Not I the think, zapping, but the arrhythmia itself. I think you're referring to atrial fibrillation. Mm-hmm. I bet your friend has that. So atrial fibrillation is becoming more and more common probably because of the obesity epidemic, to be honest, because obesity is a major contributor to atrial fibrillation. By the way, that's a good reason to uh, think about the diet stuff that I'm talking about, because I've seen patients completely get rid of their AFib. And there's there's studies to support this that show that if you can lose weight by adopting a low-carbohydrate diet, which is what I'm recommending, you can lose weight and then get rid of the arrhythmia problem. You might want to mention that to your friend. Oh, I think he knows. He mentioned oh, that Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but uh, atrial fibrillation by an, uh, itself doesn't, uh, it's not a life-threatening problem. It's a huge issue in terms of symptoms. People often don't feel well when they have a- atrial fibrillation. And so that's why we do something called uh, uh, cardioversion, which is the shock procedure that we do sometimes to re- restore normal rhythm. The important thing to worry about when somebody has atrial fibrillation is the risk of stroke because there is a, a propensity of uh, clot formation in patients who have this arrhythmia because blood isn't cycling through the heart normally. It can form blood clots inside the heart and they can go to the brain and cause a stroke. And atrial fibrillation actually is the number one cause of stroke in the United States. A lot of people don't know that. It's the number one cause of stroke. So the way to avoid getting a stroke ends up being to start taking anticoagulation medicine, uh, which is a whole nother discussion. But yeah. All right. But you know, it all comes a lot of it comes down to diet, doesn't it? It does, right. Diet and lifestyle. And don't don't forget exercise. I just want to put in a plug for that. I mean, you know, exercise is not a good way to lose weight, but it's a really good way to be healthy. And uh, all the studies show that people who exercise more not only have less heart disease, but they have less dementia, less um, cancer. There's all kinds of benefits from exercise. So, uh, I mean, that's one of the reasons why I came to Oregon, actually, just to get back to what you started this, was you asked, why did I come to Oregon? I came to Oregon because it's a great place to run. And I like to run marathons and ultra marathons, and that's a great way to exercise. Now, you don't have to do marathons. You don't have to be crazy like me. I mean, you can just go for a walk or go for a hike or go, you know, do whatever you enjoy. But exercise is probably, if you want to do number one thing to not get heart disease is to be active. Dr. Sanger, thank you so much for uh, being here today. And what a great talk. I appreciate you coming in. You're welcome. That's Dr. Sanger. He's a cardiologist with Peace Health, Peace Harbor Medical Center. And that is this edition of Doc Talk. You have been listening to Doc Talk, presented by Peace Health, Peace Harbor Medical Center. For more information on the program and services provided, visit peacehealth.org.